Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. I'm Lord Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up in just a bit, going to be joined by Chiefs Insider from ESPN Radio and WHB, Derek Haglin. We'll play that conversation that I had with him from earlier this morning on KLWN, breaking down the Chiefs' win against the Broncos last night. So look forward to that as we'll look at how it happened, why it happened, and what to know about this Chiefs team going forward. Look forward to that discussion in just a little while from right now. And as a reminder, before we do anything else on today's show, make sure to subscribe to the Jones Report on Apple, Spotify, and Google Play, and you'll be alerted when there's new episodes of the Jones Report, which are each and every Monday and Thursday. And leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. We would love to hear from you there. Also on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live and Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Jones underscore report and Tyler Jones Live is where you can find me there. And before we get to Derek, we always open up the show with the million dollar question. What did we learn from over the weekend? And I got to tell you, I learned that the great Steve Kornacki is a man of many talents. I loved the segment on Sunday Night Football when he was breaking down the NFL playoff picture division by division. That was incredible TV. I said the night of the election, whether it was Kornacki or John King, maybe you're a Bill Hemmer kind of person, that those guys should be breaking down bracketology for the NCAA tournament. Well, we got a taste of that with Kornacki breaking down the NFL playoff picture, and this was just fantastic. Great job by NBC to use Kornacki. He showed up wearing the khaki pants at all, and this was just riveting television. Here's a, a look back on Kornacki using the touchscreen on NBC. Playoff picture changed. Welcome to the fam. Thanks, Mike. And what a day to join, I guess. You talk about that high-stakes drama in the early games this afternoon. Let's start with two of those teams that were right there on the line in the AFC. The Indianapolis Colts, number one. Uh, they were up against it late in this game. You saw Houston uh, had a chance to go in and beat the Colts. Had that happened, the Colts' playoff chances right now might be somewhere in the 30s. Instead, they came into today with a 56% shot of making the playoffs. They come out of today by hanging on with a better than 60% shot of making the playoffs. Remember, they were in the final spot coming into this today. Talking electric. about, uh, speaking of late game heroics, what about the Raiders against the Jets this afternoon? The Raiders came into today with a 47% shot. Now, they took care of business in the end with that miracle. It gets them to a 49% shot of making the playoffs. So not a big difference by winning, but really what this means for the Raiders is it averted catastrophe because had they lost, had they not pulled it out in the final seconds, they'd be looking at something like a 10 or 15% shot of making the playoffs. Instead, they are very much in the mix, and it really sets the stage for next week when you can see it. Next up for the Raiders, they play the Colts. The Colts play the Raiders. Those two teams go head-to-head -head last week. They are sitting right there on the line in the AFC right now when it comes to making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. Huge game there next week. And let's take a look here. Big picture at the AFC playoff uh, situation right now. Call up those AFC playoff standings, and, and you can see it. Indianapolis and Vegas right there on the line. The other thing I think your eye is drawn to is Miami. They beat Cincinnati today. They're sitting there with a 51% shot of making the playoffs. Look down here. The ninth spot, way out of the playoffs at this point. But Baltimore, almost the same chance as Miami of making the playoffs. 47% for the Ravens. Why? Has everything to do with schedule strength. The Ravens with the easiest schedule in the league down the stretch. Miami, meanwhile, much tougher slate starting next week with Kansas City. So that's why the Ravens very much alive despite, despite being in ninth place. And by the way, one more I'd be remiss if I didn't mention right here. <laughs> You mentioned it, Chris, a minute ago. Cleveland, 97% right now. This would be the Browns' first playoff bid in 18 years, and they are now almost, almost there, Mike. Oh, that is just fantastic. Phenomenal job by Kornacki. Tracking Kornacki, taking care of the NFL playoff picture, simplifying it, doing such a great job. I am all over this. Thank you, Steve Kornacki. You know, We've been saying for a while that the nerds were starting to infiltrate the sports world. I think with Kornacki doing this, now it's a full-on takeover. The nerds have officially won, 
and taking over the sports world as we know it. Great job by Karnacki giving us the NFL playoff picture. And the Kansas City Chiefs have a 100% chance of making the postseason as they officially clinched a spot last night. For more on that, let's let you hear my conversation with Chiefs insider Derek Haglin earlier this morning here on KLWN. Chiefs with a win last night. That was a little bit too close for comfort over the Denver Broncos, 22-16, and they are now 11-1 and on the season. Time for another edition of Chiefs Chat with our Chiefs insider from ESPN Radio and WHB, Derek Haglund, who joins us right now. Derek, Chiefs win it. It wasn't pretty, but it was good enough. Yeah, no, it wasn't pretty, but it was, it was good enough. I, I, I think, you know, teams will never say that. Uh, I think the Chiefs might have been looking a little bit ahead for their next two games, considering they're against two playoff-caliber teams, that being the Miami Dolphins and the New Orleans Saints. I think that they thought they could probably go out there and wouldn't have to try really hard to beat the Broncos, but it's obvious, you know, everybody should know, when you're a defending Super Bowl champ, you're going to get everybody's best shot. Um, and the Broncos wanted to show everybody that they're not as bad as a, as a team as they are. And, you know, they probably wanted to try to get some good publicity after how bad everything went for them last week with every single one of their quarterbacks violating the COVID protocols and them having to start Kendall Hitton at QB. But, uh, you know, they had some red zone struggles, the Chiefs did, especially to start the game on offense. But championship teams find a way to win, no matter who the game is against and no matter what the score is and how it looks. You know, Patrick said it after the game, they feel like they found a way to win a game, you know, almost every type of way this season. And I actually, I agree with them. I agree too, and last night was the case. Uh, it wasn't the uh, you know Picasso type football performance. It was probably a, a C minus performance from the Chiefs, but it was good enough. The biggest highlight of the night I felt was what Tyron Matthew did: two interceptions, just the second time in his career that he's had a two interception game. He did it on the very first possession for the Broncos and the very last possession of the Broncos. He set the tone and he finished it. Great all-around night for the Honey Badger. The uh, landlord, he collected some rent on the hometown kid in uh, Drew Locke. Yeah, you know, it's the, the the game started with a with a Tyron Matthew interception, and the game ended with a Tyron Matthew interception. And 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 I'm glad that he did that because he's such an inspiring person to want to be around and and, and to root for. I, I will say he's doing a lot better in terms of attacking the ball and getting the ball this season. But I I haven't thought he's as physical as he has as he was last year or times that we've seen him. In, in previous seasons, whether he was with the Cardinals or his one year in 2018 with with the Houston Texans, I'm waiting to see when we're going to see that thumper and that guy who literally just wants to run through you and take your soul in Tyron Matthew. Maybe maybe that's going to be the last couple of weeks of the season. Maybe it's going to be in the playoffs. But I'm waiting to see the beast that is the Honey Badger to be fully unleashed uh, for the Chiefs so far this season. Yeah, we all are at uh, this point. Derek Haglin, our Chiefs insider, joining us here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, streaming live on KLW.com, KLWN app. Derek, the Chiefs defense held the Broncos to 16 points. That was the same number they held them to in the previous matchup in Denver uh, a couple months ago when these teams met uh, earlier this season. The defense, though, did not get any sacks. Another down game for Frank Clark and for Chris Jones. I know this team's goal is to hold their opponents to 17 points or less. We found that out a while back. That's what they try to do every game. They feel like if they do that, they're in great position to win. But even though they did that, this wasn't too flashy from them other than really Tyron Matthew. Uh, They they struggled a little bit to to stop the run, and and Drew Locke, even with the two interceptions he threw, he still had some moments of sorts here. It, It wasn't a... Great lights out game from the defense, in particular the defensive line. I felt. Yeah, you know, first off, Tyler, I want to apologize to you because no sacks, no max, which means you don't get to go to McDonald's tomorrow and get a Big Mac. Yeah, um, uh, that will not be happening today. Uh, I will bypass the Mickey D's and hold off for another day. That's right. Maybe maybe next week it'll happen. I think I think one of the biggest things, Tyler, that we're seeing is. I, 
I, I believe that you we're seeing the effort from Frank Clark and Chris Jones, but it's really hard when those are the only two guys on your defensive line that can really rush the passer. I think we're starting to see the Chiefs made a mistake deciding to not try to bring back Emmanuel Ogba, a guy who last year I believe had six or seven sacks before he he tore his pe- uh, his pectoral muscle and went on season-ending IR. And then even last year when you know they kind of got a, a late an late slash early Christmas present in the Super Bowl run in in Terrell Suggs, he was a guy who had you know 130 something career sacks that you had to account for him. So that was gonna take you know, some pressure off of Frank Clark and Chris Jones and going to be able to allow them to be able to get to the quarterback. Uh, whether it would be Ogba in there, Terrell Suggs, now that it's just strictly Derek Nadi, uh, Tano Passanio, and Alex Okafor, you're seeing a lot of attention devoted to Frank Clark and Chris Jones. Those guys are getting doubled, and the other guys just can't win their matchups consistently unless Spagnola really brings a heavy blitz, and he doesn't do that a ton right now at this time. I think that's the biggest difference we're seeing in the defensive line and sack numbers from last year to this year. All right, let's transition to the offense. Patrick Mahomes goes 25 of 40 through the air, 318 yards, one touchdown, and he also had 26 rushing yards on the ground as well. Mahomes had a solid night, but they couldn't quite get it done in the red zone, and he also had a couple touchdowns that got taken away. One was that penalty uh, from the Tyreek Hill touchdown late in the bowl game, and then uh, early on the touchdown to Tyreek Hill that – uh, was actually not even called a touchdown, and Andy Reid didn't challenge that play. Uh, good night for Patrick, but could have been better. Yeah, good night for Patrick, and and, and a decent night for for Tyreek Hill. Um, you know that that touchdown early on in the game that was weird because I had noticed where I was watching the game. I'm like, I don't think I saw the ball hit the ground, but there are people up in the press box and people up in the booth who are coaches who are literally paid to tell Andy Reid whether he should challenge it or not because they have first look at a replay and glimpse at something like that before Andy or the Jumbotron can ever see it, and they need to relay that information. I thought Andy was pretty quick on the hook there to to uh, to run the next play, and I feel like he should have. He should have taken his time because the replay would have absolutely shown that Tyreek Hill caught that ball. But Tyreek didn't even act like he caught it because he didn't even know. That's one of the craziest things. You know, even if Tyreek doesn't necessarily catch a ball 100% clean, he acts like he caught it. He didn't even know he caught that and it didn't hit the ground. That was weird. And the fact that it was a punt that they were in such a hurry for, and it was ruled an incomplete pass with the clock stopping, so it wasn't like that you were trying to rush you know, time being off the clock or something like that. Just an odd sequence. And you mentioned Andy Reid, and a lot of people point to him for not getting that challenge flag out there. I get that, but at the same time, Derek, I think you still have to point to the officials because it's their job to get it right the first time. You shouldn't have to have a challenge if the officials would just do their job right And then on top of that, we have these rules in the National Football League of that all scoring plays are reviewed. Why aren't all potential scoring plays reviewed? That's what I don't understand here in all this. Yes, you can point to Andy Reid, but the officials got to take some blame here too. Yeah, absolutely, and I think in worst-case scenario on that, the officials need to rule it a touchdown, and then you can always take the touchdown away. Oh, yeah. Because – Play gets the play gets reviewed no matter what, and you're not having somebody have to cost a challenge or 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 a timeout. It wouldn't have cost the Chiefs a timeout at all because it would have gotten overturned. And who knows? Maybe that would have been the momentum turning play of the game because the Chiefs, after that play, struggled a lot for the most part outside of one drive to get the ball into the end zone. Uh, against the Denver Broncos. Now, Denver's defense is good, but, you know, the Chiefs have had offensive red zone struggles all season long. Oh, yeah, and that play potentially was the difference in the Chiefs not covering last night, which upset a lot of uh, betters out there, I'm sure. But then you think about it. Let's just say for all intents and purposes, what if the Chiefs' offense was just completely off and didn't get the scores they needed to to win. What if that was the difference in the Chiefs not having home field advantage or not? 
or you know causing that uh, to get the the win of sorts last night. I mean, there was a lot of damage that could have happened just by that one play alone. Fortunately for the Chiefs, they still found a way to win. But uh, I, I can't help but think the you know circumstances, some of the uh, unintended consequences, if that call would have affected the outcome. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you on that. You know, had that gone the other way, who knows how the game might have gone. Um, you know, had the Broncos gotten a two-point conversion as well. And, you know, I thought the game, I thought it was funny. When, when Fangio punted on fourth and three, I thought the game was over because I'm like, they're not really going to get the ball. The Broncos aren't going to get the ball back with enough time to be able to do anything or try to make a play or anything like that um, of of that nature. So I was really, I was really surprised he made the decision to do that. But you know, you said it, Tyler. The, the, the Chiefs' offense was probably a C minus against the Broncos, but against the Broncos, that's good enough to win. I thought the defense was an A. You know, outside of the big Melvin Gordon run, I thought the defense played pretty well. Giving up 16 points in an NFL game, especially with the way that the rules are designed in the NFL to help and assist the offense. I think it was. I, I thought they played really, really well. Obviously, you you want to see sacks and pressures uh, more than what you're seeing. But you know, two interceptions, two turnovers. The the Chiefs are third in in, in turnover margin in the NFL. That's pretty good uh, for where they're heading right now at eleven and one. Derek Haglin, our Chiefs insider, joining us here on KLWN. No Clyde Edwards Elaire last night for the Chiefs as he was dealing with a flu illness of sorts. It wasn't COVID-19. And Le'Veon Bell got the start. He had a decent night, 40 yards off 11 carries. Darrell Williams looked pretty good as well. Heck, we saw Tyreek Hill have a nice run. Patrick Mahomes escaped from pressure a couple times too. Over 100 yards on the ground and, and by committee. Uh, I mean, you, you didn't have necessarily a feature back of sorts, but still a decent day running the football considering the circumstances of not having you're a number one back in uh, uh, Clyde edwards Lair there. Yeah, I felt like last night, especially once uh, it was starting to come out that, that Edwards-Hilaire was dealing with some probably flu-like symptoms, I, I felt like the Chiefs were going to do everything they could to not use him and uh, just have him be one of those break glass in case of emergency type things. I think they wanted to see exactly what they have in Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell has not been you know, getting the workload that he, he is normally accustomed to as being a lead back because the Chiefs have Clyde Edwards Lair. And I think the Chiefs wanted to see how how well he, he's come along in the system since he's come to Kansas City, what plays he feels comfortable with, what he's good at, what he's not good at. Uh, and I think the Chiefs did that and found that out, especially considering they're going to probably want to know uh, how best to use him uh, these last four games of the regular season and as they push in the playoffs to get ready to potentially repeat and go and play in Super Bowl 55. All right, Derek, a couple more things before I let you run here. The Steelers are going to play Washington today. That game uh, should be a win for the Steelers, you would imagine. Chiefs have four games left here. How do you like the Steelers and the Chiefs as far as this home field advantage fight goes? The Steelers got a tough one coming up next Sunday night against Buffalo. Uh, that I'm sure will be a tough test. And the way this thing's going, this, this seems like this is uh, going to come right down to the wire between these two for home field here. Yeah, I, I think it will. But I actually think Washington can beat the, the, the Steelers. The Steelers' offense has been struggling. The Steelers last week, you know, it was, I think it was Stefan Seward or whoever it was, was like, you know, easy win today. Well, uh, you know, you struggled to beat a, a Baltimore Ravens team that was without nine starters, including their quarterback, who was the league MVP last year. Um, and your defense had to get a pick six. That's what's made the Steelers so good is that their defense is getting timely turnovers to help them win and secure games. If they're not getting that, I think they struggle. The Steelers are a, or a, are a good team. They're not a great team. I think if the Steelers play their best game and the Chiefs play their best game, the, still, the Chiefs still win by double digits. Um, no matter whether it's at Arrowhead or whether it is in, in Pittsburgh. Washington is playing good football right now on the offensive end, especially with how well they looked uh, on, on Thanksgiving Day against the Cowboys. Uh, and that defense is really good, too. That defensive line, I think, is going to be able to give the Steelers some problems. Um, you know, Steelers also coming off of a short week they're only having five days granted they get to play at home again um i know they've got to they got to play buffalo next week with the way that cleveland looked on sunday going on the road and dominating 
that game, for the most part, I know the final score might indicate that it was a little closer, but the way that Baker Mayfield played for the Browns and the way that Cleveland played in Tennessee on Sunday, I think the Steelers will lose, could, could lose three games. I, I think it's more realistic like they'll lose two. I think they'll lose in Cleveland on the last weekend of the regular season, and I think they'll lose in Buffalo next week. So you're, it's all going to come down to tiebreakers, conference record, and everything like that in terms of who will have that home home field uh, advantage, but I was very impressed, and I, I think Cleveland could beat Pittsburgh now. I, I, I've, I thought Buffalo is going to win that game no matter what, even when the season started. All right, we'll see how it all plays out. Chiefs headed to Miami next week. They had a nice visit the last time they were there in February. We'll see what happens coming up on Sunday. Derek, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, man, and we'll let you get back to watching some Fox News. Okay. There you have it. That is Derek Haglund. You can catch him every Monday morning at 7.15 after each Chiefs game on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Tyler Jones here with you as we continue. Let's go around the rest of the NFL. As we're recording this, the Steelers-Washington and Bills-49ers games have not happened yet. We'll break those down and talk about their effect on the rest of of the playoff picture coming up on Thursday's show. But for right now, let's go ahead and go game by game looking back at Sunday's action. The Saints defeated the Falcons 21-16. Taysom Hill threw his first career touchdown pass. And what's the saying that Coach Bo says around here? That Matt Ryan will do Matt Ryan things, and he did Matt Ryan things as he fell apart down the stretch once again and created a path to victory for the Saints. The Saints, you know, they have not lost a game the last two years in which uh, they've had to play a backup quarterback. When Drew Brees has been out, the Saints have continued to win, whether it was Teddy Bridgewater last year or Taysom Hill this year. They've done a really good job of finding ways to win. 10-2, and two, that defense has come along as well. Saints look like the best team in the NFC at the moment, but I'm not closing that door. The NFC has got... Several teams that can contend and potentially win that conference, but you got to start out with the Saints as the favorite in that division. Raheem Morris, his team put up a fight, and now he's four and three. He'll certainly have a case to uh, be the next head coach there at the Atlanta Falcons, replacing Dan Quinn. Uh, but he would probably need another win or two, a significant one of sorts, to really affirm if he's going to get that job or not. The Lions beat the Bears. 34-30. Lions scored five touchdowns in their comeback win against the Bears. Matt Stafford, I've been a big Matt Stafford defender. What have I told you about Matt Stafford? If he was wearing a decent uniform of a playoff team of some sorts, we'd be talking about Matthew Stafford as a Hall of Fame quarterback. That's how good this guy is. He's just such in such a terrible organization there in Detroit. He went off 400 yards, three touchdowns, was phenomenal. Down the stretch. Great game for Matt Stafford. Mitch Trubisky played decent for Chicago. 30 points. That should win you most games in the National Football League. But he found a way to lose it with that fumble late in the ballgame. Sure, the offensive line wasn't really helping him much either. Um, but Mitch, you know, I'm not a fan of Mitch Trubisky. That's no secret around here. Um, but... You know, even when he plays well, he still finds a way to screw up. The Bears are 5-7. and seven. Some big question marks about their organization, whether uh, they'll keep Matt Nagy and some of the staff around him and such. Uh, the waters are getting much warmer there in Chicago. That hot seat is uh, getting a lot hotter for Matt Nagy and company and uh, the direction that they're going to go. We'll see. The Browns beat the Titans 41-35. to and this was the best game of the NFL slate yesterday when it came matchup-wise as both teams entered Sunday with an 8-3 and record. And the Titans were about a four-point favorite over Cleveland. And when you looked at this Cleveland Browns team entering Sunday, the big knock on Cleveland was that, yeah, they're 8-3, and but they don't really have any quality wins if they were in – College football, for example, 
we would look at them as like a group of five team. Okay, um, that's nice that you have that good record, but who have you played? The strength of schedule just simply wasn't there. Um, their best win was against the Indianapolis Colts. Well, they showed up and showed out uh, with their performance. 38 points in the first half. Baker Mayfield had a career day, maybe the best game of his entire career there in Cleveland with four touchdown passes. Baker was just phenomenal, and he showed what he's capable of. You give him an offensive line, you give him weapons, he actually had time to throw, and it made a big difference. Uh, Tennessee had a comeback of sorts late, but Cleveland put their foot off the gas there for a bit. Um, This score was not indicative of how much Cleveland dominated this game. And our guy Kornacki gives Cleveland, uh, you know, an over 90% chance of making the postseason now. They're in great shape at this point. At 9-3, and three, they've guaranteed themselves a winning record. Credit where credit's due. Kevin Stefanski has done an outstanding job there in Cleveland this year. Baker Mayfield, he's a little bit more than a game manager. He really showed up and showed out for this Cleveland team. Big-time win. Tennessee 8-4, and four, still a really good football team. Derrick Henry and company still uh, competitive and could potentially win the AFC, not rolling that out. But this was a statement game. This was a message that the Browns sent that they're not going anywhere. This team is a legit football team. I don't know if they can you know, necessarily win a playoff game or two, but they have arrived of sorts. That was the message that they delivered with this win over Tennessee on Sunday. The Dolphins beat the Bengals 19-17. to A lot of Dolphin fans upset about this performance that uh, it left a lot to be desired despite winning this game. Tua got the start. He was fine, 26 of 39, close to 300 yards and one touchdown. But the defense, they played well, holding Cincinnati to seven points. But really beyond that, what was there to like from Miami? You want more from this offense. They're 8-4. and four. And sure, Miami fans may not have liked that it wasn't flashy and such, but you've guaranteed yourselves at least a 500 record. Miami looks like they're on the way to the postseason. Um, in what's been a year where they've shifted the quarterback position a couple times there and there, I think Miami's got to be thrilled with how their season's gone. Brian Flores is a good coach. He's made a couple mistakes here and there, but for the most part, he's done an outstanding job. Miami now welcomes in the Chiefs coming up this weekend for their toughest test yet. The Vikings survive against Jacksonville 27 to 24 in overtime. You have to think that if Zimmer would have found a way to lose the Jags, he probably would be without a job almost certainly at the end of the season. Now he is uh he and his Vikings team are six and six. Cousins with over three hundred yards and three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook was great, 120 yards. Justin Jefferson, um, with Herbert laying such an egg, and we'll talk about that later. And with Joe Burrow being out for the season, I think Justin Jefferson's probably your favorite to be the rookie of the year at this point. He's been great, but he hasn't had much help. Vikings are 6-6. They're not going to the postseason. Uh, This has still been such a down year for a team that had so much hope, so much potential. Jags still find a way to lose. Um, Probably going to have that number two draft pick. It is worth noting if the Jets somehow find a way to win, which they almost did. Uh, the Jags would actually have the tiebreaker over the Jets and get the number one pick. The Raiders top the Jets 31-28. to I'm not fully convinced that the Jets intentionally threw away that game to get the number one pick that Greg Williams intentionally blitzed on that Hail Mary play um, because Greg Williams is out of a job today. All of that coaching staff is going to be out of a job in a matter of weeks. What do they have to gain by the Jets going 0-16, getting the number one draft pick? I think it was just bad coaching. Greg Williams is not a good defensive coordinator. Adam Gase is the worst head coach in the National Football League. Um, The Raiders, man, they went all out in that game against the Chiefs a couple weeks ago, and they looked awful against the Falcons. Now they barely beat the Jets, I think there's some trouble in paradise. There's reason to be concerned about this Raiders team right now. 7-5, and five, and they certainly have surpassed expectations for 2020 uh, of what we thought this team would be. But from where they were a couple weeks ago, they've taken a step back. I do like what I saw from Darren Waller. 
Waller, I think, is without question the third-best tight end in football right now. 13 catches, 200 yards, two touchdowns. He was phenomenal uh, for the Raiders. But uh, this team's got some issues they need to overcome and work out before the playoffs get here. Colts get the win over the Texans, 26-20. to uh, The Colts now 8-4 and four on the season. That defense is so good there in Indianapolis. Uh, Deshaun Watson didn't even have a touchdown pass. They slowed him down as much as they could. Uh, ran the ball decent with Jonathan Taylor and company. Colts at 8-4, still not buying them as far as winning a playoff game or, or, or two. But 8-4 uh, and four at this point, uh, Indy's got to be feeling good about themselves uh, where they're at at this point in the season with uh, Phillip Rivers and company. The Rams topped the Cardinals 38-28. One of the things that we said on this show on Thursday was that we felt like the Cardinals had kind of ran out of gas of sorts, that they hit a wall. And I think you saw that again on Sunday. Kyler Murray struggled throwing the football, throwing that pick six. He only had three completions in that first half. The Rams, they went through a slump for a little bit, but I think the Rams have found their groove again. They've gotten healthier. They're 8-4. and four. The Rams might be the best threat to the Saints to win the NFC at this point. Um, their defense is phenomenal with Aaron Donald and company. Uh, offensively, they're really gelling, starting to come together. Robert Woods, I think, is maybe the most underrated receiver in the league. The Rams are turning into something at 8-4. and four. Watch out. Cardinals starting to fall apart. I think that the Cardinals probably missed the postseason, but even then, the Cardinals, this was a team that nobody thought was going to be much this year. Um, you know, for them, I think it's still a successful season at this point. I would look at, we heard the news that Puka Williams was going to uh, declare for the draft, which was expected. Bring in him, another speedster of sorts, something like that, to play alongside Hopkins and Murray. Those guys can't do it all. They need some more help on that team, not just defensively, but just other skill position players for this Arizona team. They don't have that right now. They've run out of gas of some sorts there. The Giants beat the Seahawks 17-12. to This was the biggest surprise of the day of what the Giants did. On the road in Seattle, and with a backup quarterback, Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy. You probably didn't even know he was still in the league. Colt McCoy delivered a win for the Giants over Seattle. Bumped them to 5-7. and seven. They're in first place in the division. The Giants are now the favorites to win the NFC East and go to the postseason. Who saw that coming? The Giants, we mentioned for the last couple weeks, they were starting to play a little bit better football, starting to figure something out here. Now, this was the win they've been looking for. This is the best win by any team in the NFC East this year. Uh, great job by the Giants getting this done, putting it together. They go to 5-7 and seven now. Seahawks, 8-4. and four. That's an embarrassing loss. You got Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf. You should never score just 12 points in a football game, let alone against the Giants. Uh, Seahawks have some problems. Giants, um, that team's not going to be winning a playoff game, but certainly they're better than what any of us expected. They're the favorites at this point. I like what uh, New York is doing there. Packers beat the Eagles 30-16. to And we all thought that the Packers were going to win this game, that they were going to be just fine. And, and they kind of left the door open for the Eagles there towards the end. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers became the first quarterback in NFL history with, uh, I believe it's eight plus seasons with 35 touchdowns or more. Uh, you know, Rodgers was just great. Close to 300 yards, three touchdowns. Aaron Jones was great. Devontae Adams. The Packers offense was just there. And the Packers at 9-3, and three, right up there with the Saints, Rams, and uh, that bunch as the favorites in the NFC. The Packers were just great. They did their thing. But the other story that was so fascinating with this game may not even been the Packers themselves, but the quarterback position for the Eagles, Carson Wentz. Remember, this guy is locked in for another, what, four years there in Philadelphia with all that money guaranteed. They are tied to Carson Wentz. And in the third quarter, Carson Wentz finally, finally got benched in favor of Jalen Hurts. And Jalen played decent. He made some throws. He was dropping some dimes. He was able to scramble and escape pressure, get a couple first downs. Remember, all we've heard about was how bad the Eagles' offensive line is, and it is bad. But Jalen Hurts provided a spark of sorts. 
I don't know if he's going to be their quarterback going forward, but he looked a hell of a lot better than Carson Wentz did. And I'm still not sold on the idea of Jalen Hurts as an NFL quarterback. Never was uh, from the moment he was drafted. But nonetheless, he did something. He provided some momentum. He changed things up for Philly. Um, I think you got to give him another shot, see what you have here. Because Carson Wentz, um, it's just not there. It just simply wasn't working for Carson Wentz. Um, give Jalen Hurts another chance and see what he's got. I liked what I saw from Jalen Hurts on Sunday. Patriots demolish the Chargers 45 to nothing. Justin Herbert threw two picks. The Chargers special teams unit was just terrible. Patriots are 6-6. Six and six. This is a very confusing football team. That was a phenomenal performance from the Patriots to win that game 45-0, in particular what their defense did. But there's so many inconsistencies. They play like that, what are they going to do next week? They're going to lose you know, to whoever they're playing, whether it's the Jets or something like that. This Patriots team is hard to figure out. And I think that Belichick, with as much as the guys they had opt out and the guys they lost in the offseason, Tom Brady included, I think they're they got to be feeling okay to be six and six at this point. Um, Belichick was not going to let this team go by the wayside. They're probably not going to be in the postseason at this point, but they're still playing hard. And Cam's still playing for a job next year. Um, good win for the the Patriots. Chargers. Look, I was a defender of Anthony Lynn, but there's no excuse to ever get shut out at home. They were favored in this game. The Chargers were. Um, to me, I think the seat got a lot harder for got a lot hotter for Anthony Lynn now. Um, that was just embarrassing. Uh, a lot of give up. Can't let that happen. Herbert, look, it's tough facing Belichick. It always is. Uh, you saw what Belichick's done against young quarterbacks this year, and really just took Herbert to the woodshed. Um, you know, he'll, he'll be fine. He's going to have a good career, but. Uh, certainly, that was not the performance they wanted from him and probably cost him Rookie of the Year at this point. And uh, there you have it. That's our look around the National Football League. As we mentioned, uh, coming up today, Washington and Pittsburgh, Bills and 49ers, and then tomorrow, the Ravens and the Cowboys as well to finish out Week 13 in the National Football League. We will move on. Let's talk college football now starting in the Big 12 conference and we now know the Big 12 championship game going to be Oklahoma taking on Iowa State a rematch of their game from earlier this season and if you recall Iowa State won that game 37 to 30 up in Ames it was just the third start for Spencer Rattler at OU and Spencer made a few mistakes here there the defense didn't play well and Iowa State went on to claim victory. Brock Purdy had some huge throws to lead Iowa State to a win. Iowa State this week, I think people are going to be quick to point to Oklahoma as the favorites to win this game, and rightfully so, based on the way that Oklahoma has played as of late. Um, you know, sure, it wasn't flashy against Baylor, but they still held them to 14 points. That Oklahoma defense has been phenomenal this last six weeks. And we've seen Spencer Rattler really come into his own at the quarterback position. The guys they got back from suspension, Stevenson and uh, company, you know, have really, Ronnie Perkins, made a huge difference. This Oklahoma team is a whole lot better than they were at the beginning of the season. This Oklahoma team, if they got to redo, if they got to redo those first couple games here, Oklahoma's got a good chance of making the playoff right now. That's how different this team is compared to what they were previously. And Oklahoma's going to be favored when they play Iowa State. I get that. They still have another game to go, as does Iowa State. Uh, But here's something to think about. Um, Is that, or I guess Iowa State's uh, done now. Um, Oklahoma's still got one more left. But here's something to think about. Iowa State, the way that they've played. Brock Purdy's been phenomenal. Uh, Brees Hall, close to 100 yards. Last week against West Virginia, he's been the best running back in the country. Charlie Kolar has been great the tight end spot. Don't count out Iowa State to win the rematch. Oklahoma's going to be the favorite, sure. But the way Iowa State has played, they're playing their best football right now. They have put the pedal to the metal there in Ames. And I like what Matt Campbell's done. 
we have been saying about this Iowa State team for the last couple of years, you know, hey, when are they going to take that next step? When are they going to get over the hump and compete for a Big 12 championship? The Iowa State Cyclones have arrived. And now Matt Campbell has pretty much proven everything at this point. Talent-wise, they're pretty close to OU. Coaching-wise, pretty close as well. They can win that game. They very well could. Um, so don't dismiss Iowa State despite Oklahoma being there. Should be a fun one uh, when they when those two get together for a uh, big bowl game, You know, a New Year's Six Bowl bid on the line uh, for whoever wins that game there. TCU beats Oklahoma State 29-22. Oklahoma State had no business losing this game. Spencer Sanders struggled. The offensive line was just atrocious. Desmond Jackson ran the ball well. They they have found themselves a pretty good bag, and Desmond Jackson is going to be their starter next year. But there was no reason for Oklahoma State to lose this game to TCU. Absolutely none whatsoever. Oklahoma State now 6-3. and three. And that's unacceptable for Mike Gundy and company. Um, on the talent level, this Oklahoma State team has, and I know that Casey Dunn has really struggled as the play caller, Talent level-wise, Oklahoma State, there's no business why that they shouldn't be uh, a top-two team in this league and have three losses right now. It's inexcusable for this Oklahoma State team. They have underachieved, and Mike Gundy has underachieved the last several years. When the Big 12 championship game made its comeback, we all had this state of mind that, you know, hey, Bedlam, you got to move it from the last week of the season because – there's a very good chance OU and OSU are going to play in the Big 12 championship game. Play back-to-back weeks if you do that. We're, what, four or five years into the return of the Big 12 championship game? Not once has Oklahoma State been back there. Hell, Texas has been back there. We love to make fun of Texas, and they've been to the Big 12 championship game more recently than Oklahoma State has. Oklahoma State's got problems, and Mike Gundy's to blame. And what have I been telling you all season long about Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State? You watch that R-Time series on ESPN Plus and the way things went with Chuba Hubbard in the offseason, that program is dysfunctional. He has lost control of things there in Stillwater. Um, They have major issues to deal with, and I'm starting to wonder if it's time to move on from Mike Gundy Um, or if they're just content with being, you know, 6-3, 7-3 team. If they're content with that, that's fine. But I think he's holding them back from what they're fully capable of at this point. Um, Texas Tech beats KU 16-13. to KU had a shot. They should have won this game. Brent Dearman, man, KU fans, you know, had, had this love affair with Brent Dearman, how great of an OC he is, and wow, so happy to have him. Hope that he stays and such. Dearman called a bad game. I mean, let's not beat the bush. Dearman called a bad game against Texas Tech and was very predictable in the play calling. The opportunity was there. Victory was in sight. KU had two shots to take the lead in the final five minutes. And I think they had a turnover on downs on both possessions. KU should be 1-8 and eight right now. They should have won this game. That is one where coaching cost KU victory. And one of the reasons why you brought in Les Miles was that he wasn't going to have the silly stuff to get in the way. I remember with David Beatty, um, there were so many things that he did to get in his own way that cost his team victory that he said, hey, a decision or two here and there, a different coach, they win that game. In Les Miles' case, his own offensive coordinator cost him victory here. That's disappointing. That shouldn't happen. And then now you lose Booker Williams. You had an idea that was going to happen. Um, he'd already opted out. Les Miles, for some reason, thought he was coming back in January. I love Puka. Hope that he has a great career in the NFL. But you bring in Devin Neal next year from Lawrence. You still got Daniel Highshaw. They're going to be okay at the running back position. Maybe you don't have the explosiveness that Puka Williams had, who I think is probably a top-five running back in the history of the Kansas program with being a two-time All-Big 12 back and everything that he brought to the table. But um, I think you have other areas of concern rather than replacing Puka Williams next year as far as that goes. Texas beats K-State 69-31. Nice win for the Longhorns. Offense put up their best performance of the year, and it wasn't all Sam Ellinger. What have we been talking about with this Texas team this season? Sam Ellinger can't do everything by himself, and he finally got some help. 
Uh, Robinson was great running the ball. Um, he had a number of guys. Robinson had, what, three scores on the ground for Texas. He was great. And they've been looking for that all season from the Longhorns. And you also, if you're Tom Herman, got some good news in that Urban Meyer is apparently no longer interested in that Texas job. And Kirk Herbstreit, he talked about it on college game day over the weekend that, you know, Texas, there's this perception out there that Texas is this just amazing job. And then it's a, you know, top five program of sorts. And even the Mac Brown days, they were second to Bob Stoops. You go back another 30 years before that, the Daryl K. Royal. This is a program that is uh, so overblown of what they really are. I thought Herbie made a good point that those Board of Regents, that's like having nine Jerry Joneses there. And I think if you're Urban Meyer, why would you take that job? Make a cush job, working in television, making millions of dollars, and then if you want to go back to coaching, maybe go to USC or something like that, somewhere with less pressure and just as much resources. Texas is not the job it's perceived to be. Tom Herman was the one that UT wanted just a couple of years ago. Remember, they they loaded up the dump trucks with money for Tom Herman. And, look, I don't know if Tom Herman's the right answer or not at Texas, but 6-3 and three this season, and you look at all the money you owe him, I don't think you really have a choice but to give Tom Herman another year there in Austin. Um, you may not like it, but I think that's what you have to do at this point. You couldn't get in, bring in Urban Meyer. Um, this is the decision you have to make. So I get that. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, Texas at a 6-3 and three, uh, this season, uh, It's uh, it's been an interesting year in uh, Austin, and I think that Tom Herman's going to be back there. Elsewhere in college football, this weekend, Friday night, Louisiana beats App State 24-21. They moved to 9-1. and Normally, we would be talking about in that position, well, Louisiana's got a shot for New Year's 6 bid. Not the case. This has been a historic year for group of five teams. And Louisiana's had a hell of a year, even beating Iowa State. You know, they'll go to a decent bowl, probably not New Year's 6. Alabama dominates LSU 55-17. Um... Look, Alabama is the number one team in the country. They are, without question, that top team. And I think that Alabama clinched a playoff spot this weekend. Okay, you lose the the SEC championship game to Florida, and they're not going to lose this upcoming week. Um, You really think a one-loss Alabama team is not one of the four best teams in the country? Uh, No no way. Alabama is in – you can – Sharpie that in at this point. Mac Jones right up there for the Heisman as well. Close to 400 yards, four touchdowns. I think they took it personal what happened between LSU and Alabama last year. I think that's why they put the hammer down in this game and delivered the blow that they did um, to LSU. And Coach O, you want to talk about as far as coaches and their perceptions and of sorts. If Coach O had this season that he's having now last year, Coach O was fired from LSU. Timing is everything in this sport. I like Coach O, but you shouldn't be going from the team that they had last year to being three and five this year. That's inexcusable. Notre Dame beats Syracuse forty-five to twenty-one. Notre Dame is very close to having that playoff spot locked up. Basically, you go into that ACC title game in a couple weeks, don't get blown out by Clemson, and you got a really good shot at making it at this point. That's what's in front of Notre Dame right now. Clemson, now you know you're going to play Notre Dame. You got Trevor Lawrence back. Go take care of business. And you win, you're in. That's a, I think there's a good chance Notre Dame and Clemson both make the playoff at this point. But if you're either team, you know, win this one, that's it. And you take care of business. Compete, probably a good shot you're in too. Unless you're Clemson. You can't lose. You have to win that one. If you lose, you're done, uh, obviously. Ohio State beats Michigan State. No Ryan Day on the sidelines. 52-12 win. Now it sounds like the Big Ten is going to change the playoff rules, uh, the Big Ten championship rules to allow Ohio State into the Big Ten championship game. 
And we don't know if they're going to be able to play Michigan this week or not. Big Ten doing everything they can to help hold Ohio State. And as ridiculous as it may be, remember, this is the same league that wouldn't let Nebraska schedule a game against Chattanooga. But they're going to do everything they can to help Ohio State, as ridiculous as that is. Remember, the only reason why we have Big Ten football right now was not to cost Ohio State a chance at the playoff. And based on Ohio State barely beating Indiana and not playing a non-conference schedule, I don't really know how good Ohio State is. So we'll see. Uh, although a lot of people think that this team is uh, right up there in that upper echelon, I think you know we, we need to see more because that Big Ten is just awful. Texas A&M gets a win over Auburn, 31-20. They still think they have a shot at the playoff. Certainly need some help if uh, that's the case right now. But on the outside looking in, Florida beats Tennessee. Similar situation to Texas A&M, except Florida still controls their own destiny of the playoff. You win the SEC, beat Alabama in the SEC title game, Florida's in. No questions about it. Um, If you're looking at the playoff on scenarios of who's got a better chance to go in right now, you know, Florida, yes, you have to go through Alabama, but you still rather be Florida than you would be A&M right now, controlling your own destiny at this point in time. And uh, there you have it. That's a look around the college football playoff. Uh, USC, real quick, they get a resounding win over Washington State, 38-13. to And Clay Elton's probably going to earn himself a contract extension. They're 4-0. I don't think they're going to have the wins, the resume, to be in the playoff discussion. But you got to think, if USC would have started their season a little bit earlier, Maybe USC is one of those teams. Um, this is the best start they've had in quite some time. I like what I've seen from Slovis. He had five touchdowns. That offense was just great the other night. Uh, so USC, hmm, that's one to keep your eyes on, a team right there uh, that should find themselves higher in the rankings within the coming days. So there you have it. That is our look around the Big 12 and in college football for this week. And – you know, we mentioned with the Heisman, Mac Jones played well, Kyle Trask played well. I think Kyle Trask has a slight edge, but Mac Jones is right there. It might be the SEC championship that decides who wins the Heisman Memorial Trophy between the two. It's might what this comes down to. We'll see. Got to run. Big thanks to Derek Haglund for stopping by. Follow him on Twitter at DT underscore Haglund. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at uh, TJ Media Group. Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore report. New episodes every Monday and Thursday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. We would love to hear from you there. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday. So long.